It's been an extraordinary year of recording news reviews with Nigel Farage, and I thought it's time to look back at some of the best, worst, and funniest moments we put out for you. I hope you enjoy this. And the great news is the argument about us rejoining is now dead. Just as I was called a fruitcake and a loony for thinking we should leave, those that now want to join are fully paid up members of the Fruitcake Club. Now, the one thing we mustn't con ourselves with, you know, and you can read newspaper reports every week that say the economy has done much better during the pandemic than anybody predicted. Well, yeah, that's because our national debt's gone from one trillion to two trillion. I mean, it is government money that has kept the economy afloat. Um, and we just cannot go on borrowing as we are. I mean, we're actually, we're actually far from Freedom Day. We're locking down, just that no one's really admitting it. Uh, and frankly, given that we've all been double vaccinated or, you know, over a certain age, 85% of us have been double vaccinated, um, either this vaccine works or it doesn't. Because if you're telling me that we've all had all this and we streaked ahead of our European rivals, uh, and yet we're not taking advantage of that economically, then what the hell is going on? Here's the real problem, Nick. If I'm right that this huge economic boom that everyone's expecting doesn't quite materialise, but inflation is there within the economy, and you and I have discussed this before on this podcast, you know, I've quoted, inflation is a disease of money caused by government, and, and, and catching diseases is easy, getting rid of them can be quite a slow and painful process. So we could even be talking about, I mean, I don't want to scare everybody, but we could even be talking about stagflation, where you have a stagnant economy in terms of growth, but inflation is running away. I mean, that would be the worst possible outcome, but I can't discount that completely. Yet the EU is a high-tax, high-regulation, protectionist club. It's not about free trade, as they told us for 50 years. It's quite the reverse. And most of the Ramonas have gone to ground. They're hiding under rocks and hopefully we'll never, ever, ever see them again. Uh, and I say that not because I was opposed to them in the referendum or for the 25 years before that, but because of what they did after the referendum, where they willfully tried to overturn the greatest democratic exercise in the history of our nation. So, you know, the words I would use in private about these people would be somewhat stronger, uh, but I'm going to use here on the Fortune and Freedom video. So they've gone. And it's interesting, actually, in London the last couple of weeks, I have bumped into a few of those types. Um, and I have to say one or two sort of examine their toe caps and say, well, perhaps you had a point, you know, and they're talking particularly about the vaccine rollout and making our own decisions. Yeah, I mean, look, Project Fear, but we're living with Project Fear with everything, aren't we? You know, I mean, think about the pandemic. That's Project Fear too, isn't it? You know, you're all going to die. Climate change. We'll all, I mean, we'll all be fried to a crisp by next Thursday. Um, and so Project Fear in the referendum, that's part of what government uh, and even to some extent big business now do. They want us all to be terrified. This financial revolution is happening. And... Crypto is part of the way for individuals to take back control of their own lives. Now, I'll tell you something, you can't stop this. Unless you completely control the internet, you cannot stop this. This revolution, I think whatever regulations, whatever government does, I believe this to be unstoppable all the while we're living in a free world. Yeah, look, you know, the truth of it is that um, QE, the first bout of QE, inspired by George Osborne when he was chancellor, you know, is a bit like saying, I'm feeling a bit rough, so I'm going to inject myself with a drug. Oh, I feel a bit better now. Um, but, you know, once you've done it once, you do it again. 
um, and then you keep on doing it. And in the end, it makes you sicker, not better, uh, as you become addicted to it. I think it was a very appropriate use of words. We are absolutely hooked on it. Um, from it has sprung modern monetary theory. I mean, it's for the birds, believe me. Uh, but this idea that we can just keep on creating money, uh, building up debt, and we can go on doing this ad infinitum, and there's never going to be a problem. Well, it may well be. It may well be that after tens of thousands of years of the evolution of man and money, that something has changed, like flicking a switch. I don't believe it for a moment. It was Gordon Brown in 97 that gave the central bank independence from government. But in reality, <laughs> in reality, the bank does what government tells it. Look, I think the 2015 um, moment when Mr. Juncker, and it was, wasn't Merkel, it was Juncker, that unveiled the EU's refugee policy. And I was there in the parliament sitting next to him. And the policy was anybody that crossed the Mediterranean illegally and set foot on EU soil could stay. I mean, that was the policy. And I said then, this is nuts. Um, then Mrs. Merkel compounded it by saying, you know, we can cope. And at least a million came across the Med in 2015 alone. That led to the most almighty row uh, because Mrs. Merkel said, oh, well, you've all got to share the numbers. And the Hungarians and the Poles stuck two fingers up. And the Swedes thought, oh, we'll be really nice, lovely, kind people, um, and, took, and took a huge number um, as a percentage of their population. Um, that has led to uh, a change in the political weather. I, do you know something? I don't think Brexit would have happened without that. I think it was one of the key determining factors. We knew we had open borders to Europe. We saw Europe opening up its borders. And by implication, people said, we want no part of this. I mean, frankly, I mean, you know, if I was living in Afghanistan um, and the Taliban were now not only in control, but they have vast amounts of American military equipment and you can't even believe the situation there. Um, do you know what? I'd take a chance and leave, wouldn't you? We've still got 1.9 million on furlough, but we've got massive labor shortages. I wonder why we spent 70 billion on <laughs> to finish up where we are. But I think more significantly, the saber rattling over Taiwan, we saw it in Xi's big speech, the centenary speech of the Communist Party. We've even seen some of the Chinese state media mocking the Americans over Taiwan. And then Biden saying that America wouldn't intervene unless it was directly in America's interests. So if there's a Chinese incursion in, into Taiwan, my guess is we do nothing. My guess is we do absolutely nothing. I'm, and I'm very frustrated, Nick, because I feel that we're squandering the benefits of Brexit slightly, not wholly, there's still money wants to come in, there's still entrepreneurship out there, but we are squandering ever so slightly the benefits of Brexit. And we've certainly squandered completely the huge advantage we had with the early days of the vaccine rollout. And our economic growth is nothing like, if, we, if we're being frank, nothing like we hoped that it would be. I have to say that if we're locked down again, I will not be obeying it in any way at all. End of. I'm just not going to do it. I mean, that doesn't mean I won't be sensible. I'm still very much on the side that vaccines do work. Uh, but I'm beginning to get a bit, you know, somewhat militant 
about being told that I must have a flu jab this winter and a third of vaccine jab. And I'm beginning to think uh, that, you know, giant pharma are winning the war in a way I'd rather they weren't. There I was in 2015, doing the national leaders debate up against Clegg, Miliband, Cameron, and I was leading UKIP, and we were in a relatively strong position. And I started to make this argument that wind was not the future. It may have quite useful local applications. There may be circumstances in which you can use it, but the idea that a national grid can operate off something that is so unreliable was nonsense and was gonna to prove to be too expensive. And then it dawned on me. So David Cameron's father-in-law was being paid a thousand pounds a day to have wind turbines sited on his land in North Lincolnshire. Ed Miliband's wife earned most of her money as a lawyer working for wind turbine companies supporting their onshore planning applications. Oh, and Nick Clegg, not to be outdone. The Deputy Prime Minister's wife was a well-paid non-exec director of the biggest wind energy company in Spain. And I realised, follow the money. This is a racket. And then you've got Another piece of government genius. Ed Miliband in those debates in 15 proposed a price cap on gas prices, a price cap on domestic bills. Cameron's response is that's communism. I thought, yeah, pretty much. If you set floors and caps on currencies or commodities and through my 40 years, every single time government does it, it gets it wrong. Every single time, 100% record of failure. And, and yet having, just, having denounced it as communist, Guess what the Tory government do? They introduce a price cap. <laughs> so you've now got maybe half of our energy, gas supplier, electricity suppliers are going to go bankrupt because they can't buy wholesale energy at the price they're committed to selling it. And guess what will happen in this wonderful new socialist world? The government's going to bail them out. I mean, you just couldn't, Nick, you couldn't invent this story at any level. Uh, it was all to me so predictable uh, increasingly over the last couple of decades so we're in a right old mess Let's filling up our car crisis is real we were told yesterday by the government the situation was easing well it wasn't at six o'clock this morning when i went out and tried seven local stations and in the end gave up and went home and i've now ex i've now expended about 25 percent of what i had left in a low tank, just going out looking for the stuff. Yeah, look, I think they're in a mess. I, 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 I think they're trapped, whatever they do. Um, I think if they put interest rates up to dampen inflation, I'm not, I, yeah, you know, I'm not sure the economy can take it. But also, slightly cynically, I still think that the hidden policy is to allow inflation to run away a little bit because it's the only way government can reduce the massive level of debt that it's built up really ever since 2008, but in particular over the course of the next 18 months. So I still stick with what we've been saying, Nick, for a very long time, uh, that inflation is going to be the problem. Uh, we're going to see it here. We're going to see it across the Western world. Um, I also think that inflation in the north of Europe, um, with little inflation in the south of Europe, is going to lead to some huge stresses within the euro as well. Um, so, yeah, interest rates are going up, but I still suspect they won't go up very much because they'd rather have inflation than an economy completely busted by interest rates. And, of course, with the national debt, uh, that if you start to put interest rates up, I mean, goodness me, you know, the repayments already, the interest repayments already on the accumulated national debt are more than our defence budget 
you know, put interest rates up a couple of times, it's more than the education budget. I mean, that's what we're looking at. So I still think inflation's the big problem. Yes, rates will rise, but I don't think dramatically. Well, it's fascinating, isn't it? Because you see coal stocks like, like, like tobacco stocks and other companies, it's all so out of favour because everyone wants to be an ethical investor, whatever that's supposed to mean. Um, so they've been very, very neglected. And we're told by everybody that the age of coal is over. It's finished. It's gone. It's done. It's history. We're all going to live off wind turbines. God help us. Um, and the truth of it is that annual consumption of coal is going up. Yep. That's right, it's going up. Mostly, to be fair, because of China, but it is going up. And even in this country, we're still using a fair tonnage of coal every year. It's just that we import it all, uh, rather than mining it ourselves. So I, the, what I'm certain of, Nick, is that for the next five, 10 years, coal is not going away. Natural gas is not going away. And they can talk about green energy until they're blue in the face, the reality is, in the short term, the world is heavily reliant on fossil fuels. We still have you know, population explosions going on in many of the poorer parts of the world. So, yeah, coal mining stocks are a really interesting one. Um, it certainly would be counter the current fashion, uh, but then fashions are nearly in the end always proved to be wrong. The great railway boom uh, that took place in this country in the mid 19th century. Uh, yeah, railways boom. They completely changed. At the country, yet most investors in railway stocks did their conquers. Similarly, with you know the massive growth of the internet around the turn of the century, uh, yeah, it completely revolutionised the way that we live. Most investors in the dot in the dot com bubble lost a lot of money. They'll raise interest rates, but they won't raise interest rates enough to seriously dampen inflation. That I think is the point. If you go back to the early eighties, when Thatcher and and Howe wanted to deal with inflation, you know, rates were put up savagely. Rates were put up to 12%. I think the real point here is that to dampen down inflationary demand, rates would need to go up quite a lot. They're not. So let's just sum up this conversation. Rates are going up. Yes, they'll go up between now and Christmas. I'm almost certain they'll go up between Christmas and the spring, but they're not going to go up. They'll go up at a quarter. You know, we could be at half a percent for the spring. I don't see them putting them up any more than that. There's no question in my mind that rates will not get put up too much because the implications of that are just so enormous. So we'll live with inflation. It'll help government um, deflate away some of its debt and everybody else will pay the price. I mean, and that's the truth of it. And that's why smart investors got to be thinking hard about inflation and ways to hedge against inflation. The government are loath to follow what the BMA want, and I'll tell you why. Because their behavioral psychologists know there are lots of people now like me saying, look, we did obey, we will pretty much obey the first series of lockdowns, um, but we've reached a point now, nearly two years on, where we just can't go on living like this, where life has to go on. And I think if they did try to go for a full lockdown, I think the millions that would simply stick two fingers up and say we're not doing this is enormous. Yeah, I mean, the big push now is for booster vaccines. And we were basically being threatened yesterday. We were being told by Sajid Javid that get the booster or you'll lose your freedoms. So they're pushing this very, very hard. Uh, it, it's happening right across the Western world. You know, I am not personally particularly a vaccine rebel, um, but, you know, there is a danger 
that 10% of the population find themselves excluded from everything. Here's a little, a little anecdote. Um, you know, I was the front face of UKIP for many, many years. We were the fringe outsiders, fruitcakes, lunatics, nut jobs. Uh, we were called everything under the sun. And I used to joke about being the patron saint of lost causes. And I remember in 2014, the night of the European elections, and we'd won. Well, I said to my gang, I said, God, we've become respectable. I'm going to have to resign. Uh, there was nothing conservative in this budget at all. This was a Gordon Brown budget circa 2008-2009. Increasing taxes, increasing spending, pricing in huge budget deficit financing for years and years to come. Even next year, free of the pandemic, you're looking at a budget deficit of another 100 billion. So we've got up to 2.2 trillion on the national debt and we're just going to keep going. So if you think about it, the first point to make is this is the most enormous gamble on interest rates. If interest rates stay very low, he might just about get away with it. But if, as you and I have been saying on these podcasts, inflation is going to be sustained and rising, it's impossible that rates don't go up. Um, and I, I wonder if he has misread the interest rate market over the next three or four years, uh, we're going to be in real trouble uh, in terms of the annual financing you know, of this huge debt that we've built up uh, is going to start to cost eye-watering sums of money. The threepence off a pint, 3p off a pint of beer, hooray! Well, isn't it marvellous? Let's get down the boozer. Comes in in the spring of 2023. And by the looks of it, will only apply to beers at less than 4%, uh, and it'll be tuppence on those between 4 and 5. Um, a little bit off Prosecco and Champagne, off some ciders, but increases on whiskies, increases, of course, on the gin boom that's going on. The net effect is zero. And as I say, even the threepence of a pint doesn't come in for a couple of years. Funny, isn't it? Tax raises go on immediately. Cuts are in the future. Worth mentioning, Nick, and nobody else has mentioned this, and they dare not, of course, it's all too difficult. Swinging increases in tobacco, especially on hand-rolling tobacco. So a packet of cigarettes now is about 14 quid. Uh, because it's so expensive, a lot of smokers now buy loose tobacco and roll their own. Swinging increases on hand-rolling tobacco, which means a market, well over half of which is already illegal, black market tobacco, that black market will only get bigger. We're back to Adam Smith. You know, if you price things wrong, in those days it was brandy that people smuggled, and today it's loose tobacco. So, I, I, you know, none of that really makes sense to me at all. Um, quite frankly, if, I mean, okay, it's not Corbyn, but if Keir Starmer was in office, I don't think Labour would have presented a budget any different to the one that we saw last week. As the pandemic is fading, governments all over the world are putting in tougher and tougher restrictions. We have had this week, in this country alone, over 50,000 people can no longer work in care homes as of yesterday, because they either haven't had the vaccine or they don't wanna have the vaccine or whatever it may be. Um, and that uh, stricture applies to the National Health Service from the 1st of April next year. They've announced that unless we get booster jabs, we can't go to France after the 15th of December. I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not an anti-vaxxer, but I just do not like uh, the hectoring, bullying way governments all over Europe are behaving and the creation of a two-tier society, the jabbed and the jab nots, if I can call them that. I mean, Austria 
Schallenberg, the new Chancellor of Austria, is even suggesting that if they have a bad winter, they'll lock down the unvaccinated. I mean, that's pretty blooming frightening stuff. I was astonished. I was at a cocktail party on uh, Tuesday night, and there were 40 or 50 backbenchers there. Um, I felt like a Roman Catholic priest. They were coming up for confessionals with me. I mean, it was really quite extraordinary. <laughs> and I then had lunch yesterday with a Tory MP, and it was mutinous. It was, how do we get rid of him? I, I, I was really quite shocked. What I find monstrous is we are beginning to create a two-tier society. Um, I'm going to dare to call it vaccine apartheid. Uh, because that's what's happened in Austria. A third of the adult population of Austria have been locked in their houses and told they cannot live the same lives as everybody else. And I find that monstrous. I don't think they're going to cancel our Christmas. I, I just don't think they are. And I think we've reached a point where we simply wouldn't obey. You know, this has now been two years. Enough is enough. We've just got to learn to live with this thing. But it is, it is disturbing that some of the promises that were made about the vaccine clearly just aren't true. I hope you enjoyed that video just as much as I enjoyed making it. If you did, don't forget to check out part one, which we published just a few days ago. 